Hello, and welcome to another White Horse Media presentation. White Horse Media presents Amazing Discoveries with international speaker and best-selling author Steve Wolberg. Our goal is to continue to produce life-changing and biblically-based presentations. We hope you enjoy this series. At the end of this CD, you'll receive more information on this ministry and how you can obtain some additional resources. In today's program, Steve will discuss survival in the time of the end. Now, here's Steve. Welcome here, everybody. Thank you for coming once again to our Bible Prophecy Seminar. Tonight we are, as always, we're going to go deep into the heart of God's book and learn special truth for us today. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12, we're going to start with verse 9 and 10 in just a little bit. The title is called Survival in the Time of the End. We are definitely living in the time of the end, amen? And we need to be ready for what is happening around us and what will come in the days ahead. Let's bow our heads, let's begin with prayer as we always do, and let's seek the Lord and talk to our Father. Dear Father, dear God, you are a great and glorious God, and we praise you and we come to you tonight in the name of Jesus. And we pray for the blessing of heaven. Please help us as we study the Bible. Please help me as I open the scriptures and share with your people tonight. We pray in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Survival in the time of the end. Before we actually read from the Word of God, I want to tell you a little story to begin our meeting. I heard a story once about a Quaker man. I don't know if you've heard much about Quakers, but they generally used to be more of them than there are today. Uh, they don't believe in violence. And one night, this Quaker man and his wife were sound asleep, and at about midnight, the wife heard someone in the house, so she opened her eyes and elbowed her husband, and she said, Honey, get out. There's somebody in the house. And so this man opened his eyes and he could hear something. He got out of bed. Now, as I mentioned, Quakers generally don't believe in violence, but this man was a family man. And so just to be on the safe side, he kept a double-barrel shotgun underneath the bed. So he reached down and grabbed this gun and tiptoed across the bedroom floor and opened the bedroom door and looked down the stairs into the living room. And lo and behold, there was a man inside of his house going through the silver. Now, this man had a quick decision to make. He sent up a quick prayer, and then he leveled the, the shotgun at this thief's head. And then he said these words in Old English. He said, Mister, he said, I mean you no harm, but I'm about to shoot where you are standing. <laughs> and when that thief heard that click, and heard those words, he got out of there as fast as he could. Now, why do I tell you that story at the beginning of this meeting? Well, the reason is, and I want you to try to remember this story as we go on through this whole night, the reason is, as we get deep into our subject, I'm gonna be talking about some rather personal areas. And I just want you to remember, please, that I mean you no harm as we get into our topic. But it's very possible that tonight, I may in fact shoot where you are, where you are sitting. So please keep that story in mind. Tonight we're going to talk about a certain kind of survival. It might be a little bit different than you have been expecting, but one which is very, very important for all of us right now. Daniel chapter 12, let's start with verse 9. Daniel 12, 9, the Bible says, And he said, the angel said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until what time? Until the time of the end. Right, that's the time we're living in. And then in verse 10, the Bible says, many shall be, and what's that next word? 
Many shall be purified. In other words, in the time of the end, God is going to be purifying people in preparation for the coming of Jesus. Many shall be purified, made white, and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. This is a powerful passage, and it tells us that God is going to be purifying people cleansing them and preparing them for the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back to verse 9, it mentions a particular man's name. And as I've studied my Bible, I've come to the conclusion that this man is an example of a purified person. He's an example for us down at the end. In verse 9, the Bible says, Go your way, and who is being spoken to here? Daniel, right. Daniel was a man who really did live a purified life. God cleansed him and used him in a mighty way in ancient Babylon. And I believe he's an example of a survivor, of a spiritual survivor. Now let's go to Daniel chapter 1. And let's take a look at a brief event in Daniel's life as we get into this subject. Daniel chapter 1. Part of the reason why Daniel was a survivor, he was a Jew taken captive, he was in Babylon. One reason was because he made some very practical decisions to take care of his health. And we're going to read about this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel 1, verse 8. The Bible says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Now, the context here is Daniel was a Jew. He was taken captive into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar the king brought him into the palace, and he decided to appoint Daniel and his friends to be at the king's table to eat all the good food of Babylon. He was grooming him to be a leader in Babylon. And Daniel, when he sat down at the table, he looked at the various things that were being offered to him, and Daniel knew that what he was being offered as far as food and drink, these things were really not the best for his mind and for his health and for his relationship with God. And so he basically said to the king, no, thank you. Thank you, but no thank you. Uh, give me a different kind of diet. And as the text there says in Daniel 1.8, Daniel purposed in his heart, he made a definite decision that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel was a survivor, and he made some practical decisions concerning his health. Now, it's my conviction right now that if more people today in America would make decisions like Daniel on a very practical level day by day, that there would be a lot more people that would be surviving killer diseases like heart disease and cancer and stroke. Many people who fall a prey to these diseases do not survive. Now basically what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about the subject of health, the subject of our bodies, and how to be survivors in the midst of a world that is being destroyed by chronic disease. Now, I know this isn't exactly the kind of survival you were thinking I was going to talk about, maybe, but this is very, very important because if we don't survive in these days, when the final days comes, it's not going to make much difference because we're not going to be around anyway. And the Lord wants us to survive the things that are killing people right now. Tonight is Health Night. I'm going to talk about, from the Bible, some very practical principles which can save you, number one, money, can save you a lot of suffering, and ultimately can save your life and prevent you from going to an early grave or from some or someone that you love. We want to be survivors. So let's go. We've got a lot to do tonight. Let's go to our next text, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Tonight is going to be a different night from anything that we've talked about so far. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. The page on that, if you're using the Seminar Bibles, is page 1136. 1136. I really do like this subject. It's very practical, and it's going to get good as we get farther into this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. The Apostle Paul is writing, and Paul asks a question. He says, what? Know ye not? Don't you know that your, and what's that next word? He says, your body. The Bible is not only concerned about our souls, but also about our physical bodies. Paul says, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. We are not our own. We belong to the Lord, and our body is to be a temple for his spirit to dwell in. And then in verse 20, Paul says, for you are bought with a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God where? In what part of us? It says, in your, your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Here you have on the screen a couple of babies illustrating the fact that God has spent a tremendous amount of time and energy putting the marvels of the human body together, hasn't he? We are a miracle. God loves us, he made us, he created us in his image, and he has spent a lot of time on, on putting us together. And he wants us to take care of the body, the temple that he's given us. And in fact, he even says that we are to glorify him in this body. Now, back up to chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. And notice this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. There is somebody in this world tonight, somebody that is probably here at this very moment, who does not want us to fulfill the purpose of our creation. And that is the devil himself. He's always trying to stop the work of God. And in verse 17, Paul says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God do what? Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, who do you think would be behind efforts to defile our bodies? It would ultimately be the devil. And that's what the devil wants. He doesn't want us to honor God, glorify God, to fulfill the purpose of our creation. And so tonight, the devil has a lot of bullets that he's aiming at the human race. He has his arsenal full, and he is aiming various bullets at us to seek to defile us so that ultimately we will be destroyed. And tonight, we're going to be talking about some of these, some of these bullets. So here we go. Bullet number one. I hope we're going to be survivors. Hold on to your seats. Here we go. Bullet number one is tobacco and other things that people are smoking today. Um, and I want to tell you, I know I'm standing up here and you're down there, but don't feel like I'm above you because I'm right with you. Uh, I know what it's like to be hooked on smoking many different things. I used to smoke a lot of things in my, what I call my BC days. Here's a quotation from US News and World Report, January 6, 1997. It says, tobacco products kill more than 400,000 people each year. That's more than the combined deaths due to AIDS, car accidents, alcohol, illegal drugs, suicide, and fires all combined. Now that's saying a lot, isn't it? Nicotine is one of the most deadly poisons known to man. I've been told that if you take a little drop of nicotine, one drop, and if you place it on the back of a rabbit, that rabbit will be dead in seconds. Nicotine is a very, very dangerous substance which is found in tobacco. This is a gross picture, but there it is. It's a smoker's lung. Um, if you looked inside of, of the body of people that are heavy smokers, this is probably what you will see. It's no secret that tobacco blackens the lungs, lessens the oxygen content to the brain, poisons the cells and contributes to many different kinds of cancer. Now we read in our Bibles earlier today or earlier in this meeting 
that Daniel would not defile himself with certain things. And we also read that in the time of the end, God is going to be purifying people, preparing them for the coming of Jesus. Now, don't you think tobacco and other smoking products are things that God would like to purify out of his people as he prepares us for the coming of Jesus Christ? Uh, I would think so. If there's anybody here tonight that has a struggle in this area, uh, I have helped many people stop smoking, and I put together a little plan, which I call the five-step power plan, based upon five scriptures. And if you'd like to write down your name and uh, a phone number and place it in the question box tonight, I will call you and get together with you sometime, or at least get you the information on how to stop smoking in 15 minutes, based upon the promises of God in the Bible. So I'd be happy to extend an invitation. I talked to a lady, I think it was yesterday, about this, and we're going to get together next week and go through this plan. Uh, God gave me victory, and he can give you victory also through Jesus Christ. And this is one of the things that God wants to purify out of the hearts and the lives and the bodies of his children as he prepares us for the coming of Jesus. Okay, let's go on. Proverbs chapter 23. We have one bullet down, and we have still quite a few more to go. And please remember my story. Remember why I told you that story? I mean you no harm tonight. And maybe I missed you in that last bullet, but the night's not over yet. Not over yet. Okay, Proverbs chapter 23, bullet number two. Proverbs 23, that's on page 674. Let's take a look at verse 31. Now this may surprise you, but here we go. We're gonna talk about the subject of alcohol. Spend a little bit of time on this big subject. Proverbs 23, verse 31, the scripture says, Look not, Solomon says, don't even look, thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives his color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. When this cup of red wine looks so good, Solomon says, don't even look at it. Now, some people say, well, what if it's white wine? Is that okay? And I don't think that... Uh, the issue is the color of the wine. He's talking about the dangers of alcohol here. Now, the reason why we shouldn't even look at it, even though it might look so nice, is found in verse 32. In verse 32, Solomon continues, and he says, at the last, it might taste good at the beginning, but at the end, Solomon says, it will bite you like a serpent. Now, a serpent in the Bible is a symbol of guess who? It's a symbol of the devil symbol of Satan. So Solomon says, don't even look at it because at the end, it's going to get you just like the devil. Now, let's talk a little bit about this subject because this is very confusing to many, many people. On the screen, you see a photograph of a book written by a man named Samuel Bakayoki. And this book is called Wine in the Bible. It's a study, a biblical study of the use of alcoholic beverages. And it looks up every single text, Old Testament and New Testament, that mentions the subject of wine. And he brings out in his book, and others who have studied this subject are, are aware of this, that actually in the Bible there are two different kinds of wine. Many people don't know that, but it's true. If you look at Isaiah chapter 65, 65 verse 8, this is a surprising passage. Isaiah 65 verse 8. Isaiah 65, verse 8. This is a, an unusual passage for many people to grasp, or maybe they've never heard this thought, but here it is. The scripture says, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. Now, notice, this verse is talking about wine. The Bible calls it new wine. And the scripture says, Isaiah says, The Lord says, It is found inside of what? inside of the cluster. And the scripture says there's a blessing in that wine, so don't destroy it. Don't destroy it. Now, if it's wine found in the cluster, then what would that, what would that mean? What is it? 
It's grape juice. That's right. It's the pure juice of the grape. And the Bible refers to this as new wine. Now, there's a lot of scriptures. When you leave tonight, we'll give you a study guide. And let me just show you a few other texts on this that bring this out. Here's a, here's a statement from Young's Concordance. It's a parallel to Strong's Concordance. People read it across the country. Page 694, it says here under the definition of new wine that new wine is new sweet wine or juice of the grapes. And when Jesus Christ turned the water into wine, he turned it into the new wine, which Solomon, or Isaiah says, there is a blessing in it. When Jesus passed out the cup the night before he died, inside that cup was the fruit of the vine. That's exactly what he said in Matthew 26. I believe it's verse 29. He called it the fruit of the vine, which was the new wine, which was the pure juice of the grape. Now, here's another text from Deuteronomy 32, verse 14. The Bible says, drink the pure blood of the grape showing that this is pure grape juice. Here's another text, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 10. God told Israel that if they followed him, their presses, their wine presses, would burst out with new wine, which obviously again refers to grape juice coming out of the presses back in the days of ancient Israel. And there are many, many, many texts like this in the Bible that illustrate that good wine, new wine, is the pure juice of the grape. Now, there's another kind of wine, which the Bible also refers to, which is grape juice that has been perverted, distilled, and basically rotten, and that is alcoholic. We already read where Proverbs 23, verse 31 and 32, Solomon said, don't even look at that wine, because at the end, that wine will bite you like the devil. Here's another scripture, Habakkuk 2.15 says, woe to him that gives his neighbor drink that puts the bottle to him. Now, this is not talking about moderation in alcohol. It just pronounces a woe upon the use at all of this kind of wine, which is alcohol, fermented wine. Here's another passage, Isaiah 28, verse 7 says, They have erred through wine, and through strong drink they stumble in judgment. And this illustrates the fact that alcohol affects the mental processes and affects our ability to discern, to discern truth and error, right and wrong, spiritual things. And this is one reason why God doesn't want us to be partaking in this substance. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, Paul talks about qualifications for leadership in the church, and he says that leaders should not be given to wine, not to the alcoholic wine. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says, be sober because there's a devil out there that's trying to deceive us. Uh, studies have shown that even one, one drink of alcohol affects the brain and begins to destroy brain cells. Now, I heard a preacher talk about this once, and he said, you know, some people think, well, I've got billions of brain cells, so what's a few brain cells? How's that going to hurt me? And then he said, but I'm in a battle with the devil right now. And he said, I need every single brain cell that I've got in order to discern Satan. And that's what Peter says here. He says, be sober, be clear thinking, because we have a devil that is out there trying to deceive us. Here's a statement from the Washington Monthly, March of 1994. Quote, 35% of all hospital beds in America contain people who are there because of alcohol-related problems. And that's an amazing statistic, isn't it? 35%. Uh, talk to people in the police force, and they'll tell you that in half of all murders, somebody's been drinking. I could tell you horror stories when I was in Russia of little old ladies coming to me and telling me how their husbands would beat them because they were drunk on vodka. It's just amazing. Uh, alcohol is a killer drug. It's the number one killer drug in this country. It is destroying people's bodies, destroying people's homes, destroying people's lives, destroying people's souls. And the scripture says, we already read, Solomon said, don't even look 
at that kind of wine, the alcoholic wine, because at the end, it's going to bite you like the devil. And it's my conviction we should follow the word and we should stay as far away from alcohol as we possibly can. So that is bullet number two. Two down, a few more to go. Please remember my story. I don't know if I've missed you yet, but we've still got more to do. So let's go on. Let's go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. But honestly, I mean you no harm by this. I only want what's best for you, and that's the reason why God gives us these statements. He wants what's best for our bodies, for our spiritual life, and for our souls, and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, Genesis chapter 7. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, and we're going to shift gears a little bit here, and we're going to talk about the subject of food. Oh, no. Some people think, oh, no, don't talk about that. Does food affect our health? It does. What we eat, somebody once said, what you eat and drink today, you will walk and talk tomorrow. So it does make a difference what we eat. Now, let's, take a, let's have a little study on this. Uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, The Lord said to Noah, Come thou and all thy house, and come into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And then in verse 2, God says, Of every clean beast you shall take to thee by sevens, the male and his female. And the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Now here we have a distinction here between the clean animals and the unclean animals. How many of you have heard stories about and songs about, you know, kids sing when they're growing up in church school, all the animals went unto the ark two by two. Have you heard those songs? The animals went into the ark two by two. But most people don't know the Bible says they also went in by sevens, seven by seven. The unclean animals went in by twos. They weren't supposed to eat those animals. But the clean animals went in by sevens. And when there was no vegetation left in the world because of the flood, it was okay for them to eat those animals. And if you ate one mama and one papa of the clean animals, there'd still be others left. But if you ate a mama or a papa of the unclean animals, that was it for them, because there were only two of them. So here we have a distinction here between the clean and the unclean animals. Clean and unclean. And this distinction actually goes far back before, before there was a Jew. It's not a Jewish distinction. It's pre-Jewish. And this reveals the fact that there are just certain kinds of animals that God made clean and certain kind of animals that God made unclean long before Moses and the Jews. This is a great text to prove that. Now, what are the clean animals anyway, and which ones are the unclean? Let's go to Leviticus chapter 11, and then we'll look at the New Testament after that. Leviticus chapter 11, what are the clean animals, and which ones are the unclean animals? Okay, Leviticus chapter 11, let's take a look at verse 2 and 3. Verse 2, speak to the children of Israel and say, These are the beasts which you shall eat among all the beasts that are upon the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, and if it chews the cud among the beasts, that shall you eat. So God says if it has a forked foot and if it chews the cud, it's a clean animal, like a cow. If you ever get close enough to the foot of a cow, you'll see they have forked feet. And if you ever watch a cow sitting in the pasture, and if you see him going like this, Basically, what he's doing is he's chewing the cud. And that means he swallows his food and it comes back up and he, they chew it for quite a while. That's chewing the cud. And cows do both of those things, forked feet and chew the cud. And so a cow is a clean animal. Now, if you go down, and we can eat them. If you go down to verse 4, it mentions another kind of an animal. And I hate to tell you this. It says, you should not eat this kind of an animal. I know this is going to be a big sacrifice for you, but it talks about the camel. So no more camel sandwiches. Sorry about that. 
Bible says we're not supposed to eat these things because they are, they are unclean. Now, there's another animal the Bible mentions. It's not really an animal. It's just a little creature, and I'll show you a verse on this later. The Bible talks about the, the mouse. Now, again, I know this is going to be a great sacrifice for you, but it's time to clean out all the mice out of the fridge. <laughs> the Bible says we can't eat them. I, I heard, I've heard that in the Orient, this is actually a delicacy where they take little baby mice and dip them in honey, and this is something that people eat. Well, the Lord doesn't want us to eat them because they're really not very good for us. Now, if you go down to verse 7, it mentions another kind of animal, and you probably knew I was going to get to this. And yes, I am. I hate to tell you this, but Miss Piggy's on the list. Okay. Verse 7 says, And the swine, though he divides the hoof and is cloven-footed, yes, a pig has a forked foot, yet he does not chew the cud. Therefore, he is unclean to you of their flesh, shall you not eat. Now, why does God say that Miss Piggy is unclean? Well, the basic reason is because pigs are garbage collectors. They serve a useful purpose, but the Lord's plan is not for us to eat them. I've heard about truckers who haul cattle sometimes, and they take pigs and put them in the back of their trucks. And the reason why they do this is because as they go across the country with the cows, the pigs help keep the truck clean. You get my point. Uh, <laughs> I, I was holding this seminar in Washington, and there was a man that came to me after the meeting, and he said, Steve, I used to live on a farm, and next to, my, next to me was another farm, and this man had cows and he had pigs. And he told me that the man next to him, that when a cow would die on the farm, this man would take it up on the ridge and put it up there, and the vultures would come down and pick it dry, just take off all the flesh when it was dead. And then he told him that when a pig died on the farm, this pig, he would take the pig up on the, on the ridge and leave it up there, and guess what? The vultures wouldn't touch it. Vultures will not touch a dead pig. Why not? Maybe because inside their buzzard brains, they know it's unclean. <laughs> and so they don't eat it. Wow. Something uh, important to know. Now, if you were to take a favorite slice of ham, and if you, were stick it, if you were to look at it under a microscope, you would be absolutely shocked at what you might find. If you look closely, you would see these little tiny things, which are larvae of worms. And these kind of worms can get into your body, especially through pork products, and you can get a disease. Anybody know the name of that disease? It's called trichinosis. Trichinosis, it can be fatal. Here's a statement from Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest article called, Must Our Pork Remain Unsafe? And it says, for this unique disease, trichinosis, there is no cure. With no drug to stop them, the worms may spread throughout your entire muscular system. Don't blame your doctor. All that your be the best doctor can do is to relieve local symptoms as they may appear. That pain in your arm or in your leg, it may be arthritis or rheumatism, but it might be trichinosis. That pain in your back may mean a gallbladder involvement, but it might be trichinosis. This is from Reader's Digest, talking about the, the dangers of pork products. Now, some people say, well, what if you just cook it long enough? Won't it kill all the worms? Well, it probably will, but then you can eat dead worms if you want to, instead of live worms. But still, there's the possibility of the larva, and there are actually a lot of other diseases. Uh, somebody was watching Trinity Broadcast the other day and handed me a little sheet where a man was speaking about this subject. Dr. Braverman, a Jewish physician, was speaking on Trinity Broadcasting all about 
the dangers of pork products, and he said there's approximately 200 different diseases that are found in the flesh of pigs. And when you think about that, and if you look at the Bible, it makes sense. You know, this is the reason why God said, of their flesh shall you not eat. Now, if you go back to Leviticus, it goes on and talks about not just animals, but it talks about things in the waters. Let's go down to verse 9. Verse 9 says, These shall you eat of all that are in the waters. Whatever has fins and scales in the waters and in the seas and in the rivers, them shall you eat. So as far as fish goes, there's clean fish and unclean fish also. And if a fish has fins and scales, it's clean. Like trout has fins and scales, salmon has fins and scales. Somebody goes, oh good, I'm glad. Tuna has fins and scales. I checked that once in an encyclopedia. And it is true, they have very small scales. And so they are considered to be clean. But if a fish or something under the water doesn't have fins and scales, the Bible says there in verse 10, all that have not fins and scales, they shall be an abomination to you. Now there's a very popular fish, and I, I hate to tell you this, and in fact, when I was in the South once holding a meeting in the deep South, in somewhere south of Mississippi, I talked about this particular kind of fish that is very popular, and one lady cried out and she just said, mercy, Lord, mercy. <laughs> just to brought, brought, brought the house down, I tell you. But there is a fish that swims along the bottom, it has fins, but a smooth body. And what's that? It's a catfish. Right. Now, why are catfish unclean? Well, the reason is because they're garbage collectors. They're bottom fish, and they serve a useful purpose. When the other fish drop down, you know, their droppings to the bottom of the rivers and the oceans or the rivers and the lakes, the catfish are right there, you know, picking up what's on the bottom. And they help keep things clean, but the Lord doesn't want us to eat them because they are, they are garbage collectors. And I... I hate to tell you this, but this also applies to, hold your breath, crabs and lobsters, oysters, and even shrimp. Here's a statement from Prevention Magazine, September of 1992. It says, why are shellfish so dangerous? Quote, the reason is because they are many times more polluted than the filthy water which they inhabit. Unfortunately, they choose to live and love to multiply or multiply along the coastal regions right near the discharge of the sewage drains. That's where the clams and the lobsters, they all hang out, you know, where everything comes, comes out. It says, no other food offered on the menu of your favorite eating place would be served to you along with its, dare I say it, along with its feces. Yet this is the case with seafood. It is served whole, complete with its intestinal tract. And that's what the Bible says, that these things are considered to be, to be unclean. Now, as far as birds go, the Bible doesn't really tell us different ways to notice if a bird is clean or unclean. It just lists certain ones we shouldn't eat, like bats and vultures. It says, don't eat those. But as far as the main bird that people eat these days is chicken. And as far as I know, that's not an unclean bird. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And remember, I mean you no harm. Please remember that. I hope I'm your friend when this meeting's over tonight. I hope so. Acts chapter 10. And let's ask, does this apply to the New Testament? This is a big question. A lot of people quote Acts chapter 10. They say, Steve, we can eat all these things now. And they say, just read Acts 10. And so let's read it. This is one of the most misused passages in the Bible. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing, but let me just give you a brief account of verses 1 through 8. Basically what's happening in 1 through 8 is there was a Roman, a Gentile named Cornelius. He had a vision. 
he was praying and an angel appeared to him and said, send some men down south to go find Peter the apostle and bring him to you and Peter will explain to you the gospel of Jesus. And so Cornelius, this Gentile, sent three of his servants down the coast from wherever they were living down to get Peter. Now in verse 9, it talks about how Peter, the Bible says, on the morrow as they went on their journey, as these three men went to find Peter, they drew near to the city where he was staying. Peter went up onto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. It was about noon. Peter's on top of a house and he's, he's praying and he's, you know, he's spending time with the Lord and the people are cooking downstairs getting ready for a meal. Verse 10 says, he became very hungry and he would have eaten. But while they made ready, they were cooking, he fell into a trance. And now Peter has his own vision. Verse 11 says, he saw heaven. It was opened right before his vision. And a certain vessel he saw descending down from heaven as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners let down to the earth. And inside of this sheet, verse 12 says, there were all kinds of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to Peter from heaven. And the voice said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. This was a sheet full of unclean animals. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, and the voice said, Peter, what God has cleansed, call not thou common. And people quote this and say, Look, we can eat anything now. It's cleansed by God. And then in verse 16 it says, This was done three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now follow this thought. This is very important. This happened three times. Okay, verse 17 says, Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, he's trying to figure out what in the world is the Lord trying to tell me by this. Then it says, Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius, they made inquiry for Simon's house, and they stood before the gate. And they called and they asked whether Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek you. Arise, therefore, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So here's the context. Three Gentiles are on their way to Peter. Peter has a vision of a sheet, and it happens three times. And God says about these unclean things, they're not, they're not unclean, they're cleansed. And then the sheet goes up. Peter's thinking, what does this mean? It happened three times. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, Peter, there's three Gentiles down there looking for you. Go with them. Don't doubt, even though you're a Jew, because I've sent them. Now, back then, Jewish people had prejudice toward Gentiles, and they didn't eat with them, and Peter didn't know at this time that the gospel was even for the Gentiles. So God was trying to break down his prejudice. So Peter went downstairs, and he, he spent time with them. The next day, he took off toward Cornelius' house, and finally, when he got to Cornelius', he put the pieces together, and if you look at verse 28, we have the answer to the mystery. In verse 28, Peter said to them, to these Gentiles. You know how it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any what? Any man common or unclean. So Peter put the pieces together and he realized that God was showing him that he shouldn't call people unclean. This is not a vision about how now unclean animals are supposed to be eaten. This is a parable to Peter explaining that the Gentiles are not to be considered by Jews to be unclean, but they need the gospel. Peter explains it right there. God showed me I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, if you go back to verse 13, this becomes more significant. There came a voice to Peter, and the voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, remember, Peter was hungry anyway. And verse 14 says, but Peter said, he said, not so, Lord. He said, Lord, no, I can't do that. 
And he said, for I've never eaten anything that is common or that is unclean. Now here's Peter the Christian, Peter the hungry Christian. And God is saying, look, eat. And Peter looks up and says, Lord, I just don't eat unclean foods. You know that, I can't do it. Peter the Christian, long after the resurrection, still did not eat unclean foods. And when the sheep finally went back up to heaven, Peter, even though he was hungry, he never did eat them anyway. And this is very significant. Peter still believed in the New Testament that unclean foods should not be eaten, and he didn't eat them. Is swine still swine in the New Testament? Of course it is. Maybe you've read the story in Mark chapter 5. We're not going to read the whole thing right now about a man possessed with all these demons. And Jesus drove them out. They said their name was Legion. And they said, send us over into the pigs. And Jesus said, okay, go. So all these unclean spirits went out of this man, and they all went into the unclean animals, the pigs. And then all these pigs rushed down into the water, and they all died in the sea. How many of you remember that story? Unclean spirits into the unclean animals. Have you ever heard the expression, deviled ham? Well, maybe that's where it comes from. All the devils went into the pigs. And that's where deviled ham comes from. But unclean things were still unclean. In Luke 15, Jesus told a story about a prodigal son. He went off into the far country and wasted his father's money. And finally, he bottomed out. He got a job. And the last, when he was at his lowest point, Jesus said he was feeding swine. So swine is still swine. Jesus told the story, and at the lowest point, this is what the man was forced to eat. In Matthew 6, 7, verse 6, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. And so it's very clear to Jesus Christ that swine was still swine. Unclean things were still unclean. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die to cleanse pigs. He died to cleanse people, amen? And a pig was still unclean the day before Jesus died, just like it was the day after Jesus died. Pigs uh, haven't changed in their essential nature. Now, here's a statement. This is a very powerful text in Isaiah. I wouldn't say this if it wasn't in the Bible, but here it is. Isaiah 66, verses 15 through 17. And this is talking about the end of the world. The scripture says the Lord will come. Eventually, he will come with fire. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves or set up their own standards of sanctification, eating swine's flesh... This is talking about the end of the world and the abomination. And what's that next animal? The mouse. You see, I told you that mouse was there. It's in the Bible. The mouse, the Bible says, they shall be consumed together, saith Steve Wahlberg. Is that right? No, it's not Steve Wahlberg saying this. These are the words of God. It says, saith the Lord. Now, personally, I don't want to take any chances. I've read verses like this before, and I grew up eating everything, believe me. Even though I grew up in a Jewish home, uh, I, ate, I, I ate unclean animals. I did all kinds of, kinds of things. But here's the text again in Daniel 12, verse 10. The Bible says, many shall be purified in the time of the end. And I believe we're in the time of the end. I want to be a survivor. And the safest thing to do for us is to not take any chances and to follow the Word of God as He reveals it to us in Holy Scripture. There's someone that doesn't want us to survive, and you know who that is. That is the devil himself. And he is aiming his weapons at us. As I mentioned tonight, at the beginning of my meeting, the story, I don't mean you any harm. I'm going through these things for our benefit. And I've had to apply these things to myself too, believe, believe me. But the devil, he does mean us harm. He does want to shoot us, and he wants to hurt us. He wants to hurt our bodies. He wants to hurt our souls. He wants to hurt our minds, our ability to discern truth, right and wrong, our relationship with Jesus. He wants to bring us down with diseases. 
And there's actually two more bullets I've got to get to before the meeting is over tonight. I didn't used to do this, but the Lord impressed me. Steve, just, just do it. So I hope I'm your friend when this seminar is over tonight, this meeting, but I've got just a couple more things I've got to get to, and one of them, some people are going to groan, I know it, but it's caffeine. Uh, caffeine is a very, very addictive substance. Why do you think they put so much of it in Coca-Cola? So people will get hooked on Coke, and they, they'll make a lot of money, and they put it in coffee. Um, or it's there in coffee. It's highly addictive. It overstimulates the nervous system. It contributes to ulcers, raises blood sugar, irritates the kidneys, and contributes to cancer of the urinary tract. There's a lot of studies. I have a little book called uh, Toxic Trends, and it talks about the dangers of caffeine and, and other things that people do all the time, and yet, really, these things are, are addictive, and they are harmful to the human body. Of course, we all know we need to trim the fat. <laughs> If we eat too much fat and if we eat too much cholesterol out of the foods that we do eat, you know, if we do eat meat, and we need to trim these things off as much as we can because if you have too much fat and too much cholesterol and it starts clogging your arteries, what can happen to you? You can eventually get a heart attack. If it starts clogging your brain, what will happen to you? You'll get a stroke. Right, now some people say to me, they say, well, Steve, you know, we all, we're all going to die sometime. Why not? And then my response is, Ecclesiastes 7.17 says, Why die before your time? That's a good text. Why die before your time? My mother, not that long ago, had two heart attacks. And I tell you, that it came right close to home. You know, I talked to her on the phone, and she told me about it. And, and uh, the day that she went in for surgery, uh, I called her. My mother is, is Jewish. And I called her right before, early in the morning, before she was taken into the operating room, and we had a special prayer. And when I pray with my mom, I don't pray in the name of Jesus, I pray in the name of the Messiah. <laughs> she can handle that. And uh, I was very thankful that the Lord brought her through safely through two, two minor heart attacks, and she's still, she's still alive and well. And I praise the Lord for that. And I want, to, I want my mom to be around as long as possible. Some people think, you know, these things you're talking about, they sound like straitjackets to me. You know, you're putting a straitjacket on me. And I think, no, this isn't a straitjacket. This is a life jacket. These are Bible truths. They're not rules. They're laws. Laws of the body. If we clog the arteries, we'll get a heart attack eventually. If we clog the brain, we'll get a stroke. If we eat too much of the wrong things, it's going to hurt us. And God knows that. And that's why he gives us these principles in the Bible so that we will be survivors and not go down to an early grave. He's concerned about all of us. And that's the reason why we look at these things. Let me tell you the story of Bill Jones. Probably never heard the story of Bill Jones, have you? Bill Jones. Story of Bill Jones. He was 42 years old. He woke up one morning to a peal of thunder. He looked out the window, and in fiery letters written across the sky, someone had written these words, Someone is trying to kill you, Bill Jones. He lit his first cigarette of the day. He didn't question the message. He just thought to himself, I wonder who it could be. Who could it be? Then he went to breakfast. And as he salted his eggs, he said to his wife, Sally, he said, Sally, somebody's trying to kill me. Who could it be, she asked, in horror. And as he stirred a double dose of cream and sugar into his coffee, he shook his head and he said, I don't have a clue who it could be. On the way to the office, Bill tried to think of a way to outwit his would-be murderer. 
But the frustration of making time by beating traffic lights and switching lanes occupied him completely. Nor once behind his desk at the office could he find a moment to solve the mystery. With the constant ringing of phones, problems, decisions, and urgent memos piling up as they did every day, he hardly had time to think. It wasn't until his second martini at lunch that the full terror of his position struck him. I can't panic, he thought to himself as he fumbled and lit another cigar. I've got to live my life as usual. So he worked until 7 o'clock that night as usual. He drove home as fast as usual. He ate a big dinner, just like usual. He studied his business reports, as usual. He drank his two martinis before he went to bed, as usual. And then he took his usual two sleeping pills in order to get his usual five and a half hours sleep. As the days passed, Bill Jones manfully stuck to his routine. His pride grew and he managed to go on living, living for years. Yet, as it must come to all men, death finally came to Bill Jones. He died at his desk at the office on a very busy day. He was 53 years old. His grief-stricken widow demanded a full autopsy, but it showed just a few things. It showed only uh, emphysema, hardening of the arteries, stomach ulcers, cirrhosis of the liver, colon blockage, obesity, circulatory insufficiency, and a touch of cancer. That's all. That's all he had. How glad Bill would have been, thought his widowed wife Sally, smiling proudly through her tears, to know that he outwitted his murderer and he died of natural causes. <laughs> well, I think you get the point. I think you get the point. You know, it's funny, isn't it, when we think of a story like this? But yet, when you're thinking about someone that you care about, someone that you love, someone that you want to be with you as long as possible, you know, it's, it's important, isn't it? It's serious that we learn step by step to take care of ourselves so we can think as clearly as possible, cut out as much suffering as possible, save as much money as possible, and just have our minds as clean as possible so our bodies can be temples for the Lord and we can be as prepared as possible for the coming of Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Let's take a look at verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Some people say to me, they say, wow, Steve, you talked about eating certain things, drinking certain things, smoking certain things. And they say to me, I, I always thought that in the New Testament, now that I'm following Jesus, that I can eat anything I want, do anything I want, because I'm under grace now and all these things don't really apply to me today. When I, when I hear those kind of statements, many times my mind goes to this text. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus is talking. Jesus said, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him do what? Let him deny, and the word deny means say no, Deny, and who are we supposed to deny? Right, the Bible says, deny himself, Jesus said, and take up his cross and follow me. Now here, Jesus Christ is talking about what it really means to be, to be a real disciple of his. And he says here, if we're really going to be his disciple, if we're going to really follow him truly, 
He says there comes a time when we have to deny ourselves and we have to take up our own cross. Now, 2,000 years ago, Jesus carried a cross and he died on a cross and he did that for us. He denied himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, I really don't want to die. My nature doesn't want to do this. But he said, if there's, any other, if there's no other way to save human beings whom I love and whom you love, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus was willing to go against the grain, to go against even his own natural inclinations not to want to die. That's why he said, he said nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then Jesus says here, if we want to follow him, if we want to really be his disciple, he said, we must come after him and also deny ourselves and take up our own cross. It says, take up his cross. And that's not referring to Jesus' cross, it's referring to our own cross. We all have a cross to bear, don't we? To follow Christ. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to have a cross to bear? Basically, what it means is when God's will is going one direction, and our natural desires and inclinations, whether it, be, whether it is our taste buds or our regular habits, if our inclinations want to go this way, but we read in the Bible that God's will is for us to go that way, it's right there, there we have our cross. Did you see that? Are we going to follow God's will or our own natural inclinations? And just as to be a real disciple of His, we have to be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. To take up our cross basically means to go against the grain, to go against what we naturally want to do, and to follow Jesus Christ. And it's my conviction that Christians need to take up their cross today. It's not just a matter of saying, I believe in the Lord, I'm just going to live my life the way I want, but Jesus wants us to follow him. And the only thing he asks us to deny ourselves of, really, when it gets down to the bottom line, are things that are not good for us. When he says, don't smoke this, or don't drink this, or don't eat this, basically he's telling us this because these things are bad for our bodies. They're bad for our relationships with God. They're bad for, for our mental capacity to discern what is right and what is wrong. Truth and error. And if, we, if there was ever a time when we need spiritual discernment, it's now. Isn't that right? It's right now. And that's why the devil's trying to cloud our minds. That's why he has all these different bullets that he's trying to shoot into our brains because he wants our minds clouded and he wants our bodies sick so that we don't have as close a walk with God as we can have. Now, of course, we're in a sinful world. I recognize this. There's certain things we just can't avoid because of heredity or environmental circumstances or things that we've done in the past. There's certain things we can't avoid, but there are many things that we can avoid. And Jesus Christ does have the power to give us victory over those things. Here's a scripture on the screen, Philippians 4.13, where the Apostle Paul says, I can do. And how many things does he, does he say he can do? I can do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a very important text. Paul doesn't say that Jesus is going to do it all, but neither does he say that we're going to do it all either. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Strength to say no, strength to deny myself, strength not to smoke this or drink this. God will give us the power. I mentioned on, I told you my story opening, or no, it was the third night of the seminar from Hollywood to Heaven, how I used to smoke marijuana every day for, for just about six years. I used to drink a lot, uh, Heineken's, Budweiser's, Mickey's Big Mouths, all kinds of beer I used to drink and other things, certain kinds of vodka, amazingly. I used to 
even use sometimes cocaine. I tried LSD. Uh, I put a lot of things into this body of mine. It's a miracle that I'm still alive. But when I really saw the love of Jesus and what he did for me, I made a big decision to surrender everything to him. And I said, Lord, come into my life and break the power of these habits over me because I can't do it myself. I'm stuck. I'm helpless. Help me. And praise the Lord, when we do that, Jesus gives us the power to break those chains that are holding us and to give us victory in the Lord. Amen? The Lord will do it. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. Believe me. I heard a preacher once say, if God has 10 steps he wants us to take, and we're on step two, what's the next most important step for us to take? Step three. It's not step five or six or seven or eight. God leads us on step by step, point by point, step by step, and wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, let the Lord lead you step by step, and he'll do it. He promises that he will. Our last text tonight is Daniel chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 again. This is the text that we open with. We'll close with this, but I actually have one more bullet I'm going to put up there, but you're going to like this one, or at least you'll appreciate me sharing this with you. I hope you appreciate all those bullets, but it's discouragement. You know, sometimes we have a meeting like this and people think, wow, you know, I've got a lot of changes that need to be made in my life. And the devil not only binds us with habits, but the devil also tries to discourage us and to get us to think that even though we're stuck and even though we've done things that are wrong, you know, the devil wants us to think God doesn't love us anymore that Jesus won't have compassion, he won't forgive us, he won't help us, he won't accept us. But that's not true. The Lord loves us right where we're at, amen? Whether we're smoking, drinking, whatever we're doing, the Lord loves you right where you are at. And he will help you right there, step by step, to advance toward glory and toward having a clean body, which is to be a temple for the Holy Spirit. He'll help you as he is continuing to help me. Daniel chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. These are our last two verses. This is the, these are the verses that we opened with. I believe these texts very strongly. This whole subject of healthful living is part of Bible prophecy. Daniel chapter 12, verse 9. The Bible says, And he said, Go your way, Daniel. Daniel's the one that stood up in the king's palace, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And we're in that time right now. Verse 10 says, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. God help us all. May he help me and help you to understand the truth of the Bible, that we're in the time of the end, and that Jesus Christ right now is purifying, taking things out of people to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. He will forgive you, he will help you, and he will prepare you for that great day when he comes in the clouds of glory. May God help us to honor him in our body. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at whitehorse7, 
or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support and may God richly bless your day.